as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Answer the Republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. T minus 15, legal anatomy of current events. SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10, internal power, green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch. Green, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events, all for you. Now, on the air, target locked. Hello, America. Welcome to the Legal Anatomy Podcast. This is Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollack. Our law firm is Bell & Pollack. We're located in Denver, Colorado, and you can contact us at any time by just going to info at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. As you know, we cover items and events in the news. We break them down for you legally. We give you a legal analysis, and that's why we call our show Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We're glad to do it. Uh, it's in a non-biased, non-political format. Sometimes we might talk about politically charged subjects, but we don't take a position one way or the other. We give you the pure, unbiased, legal breakdown, legal anatomy, and legal analysis of current events. Okay, in the news, right in the news, we've got lithium batteries. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Lithium lithium batteries. So you say, well, those are pretty cool, Gary, Brad. Those are cool. I use them on my leaf blower. I use them on my snow blower, my power tools, in my computers. And so let's talk about lithium batteries. First of all, let's break it down into two segments two parts, right? We're going to talk about lithium batteries in general, but first uh, we're going to talk about a lithium battery called the 18650, 18650. You're going to know that number when we're done. You don't know it right now, but you're going to know it by heart when we're done. The 18650 lithium battery. It's dangerous. It can be dangerous. Now, 
The Consumer Product Safety Commission issued a warning in January 2021 about the 18650. Repeat that after me, 18650, the 18650. So, Brad, the 18650, it was determined and found and discovered that they were selling them as standalone batteries, and they look like a AA battery. But what's this warning all about by the Consumer Product Safety Commission, and what's this really about on this 18650? It's a pretty serious warning. It's uh, something you have to make, pay attention to. Uh, it will cause injury. It will cause explosion. If you have it in your pocket, it's going to cause some injuries to you. Uh, if it's in your house, it can cause your house to be set on fire. It, it, there's a lot that can happen with uh, in using the 18650 battery as a standalone product. Now, that doesn't mean if it's in its original container, in its original use, that it's safe. It may or may not be, but the safeguards are lost if you make it a component part. If you take it out and rewrap it, um, separate it and sell it as a new consumer battery. Uh, the problem is, is that people don't pay attention to that uh, because uh, what these loose batteries or loose cells now that are, are dealt with the battery, uh, what they're doing is is they're, they're now losing some of their protection and their safeguards that are built in. And you, you think, okay, I should be able to know that because I wouldn't buy something that's been taken out of another product and rewrapped and resold separately. But lo and behold, you think you're dealing with a pretty good um, product and you think you're dealing with a pretty good uh, source that you're buying the battery from because this, these batteries are oftentimes bought from sources such as Amazon. Right, so the 18650 was designed and manufactured, and you got to pay attention where it was manufactured. If it was manufactured in the United States or China, if it's in China, it could have less protection, less safeguards. But in a minute, in a minute, in this podcast, we're going to talk about regular lithium batteries. Batteries, but right now we're talking about the 18650 lithium battery. It was manufactured. If you don't get anything else from this podcast, get this: it was manufactured to be a component internal part of other things you buy. It was not manufactured for you to buy them as standalone products. They look like AA batteries. And it was not manufactured for you to buy them as standalone. There are so many safety hazards. And guess what? They are and were being sold as standalone batteries. And people bought them. And they explode. You know, you, and there was vaping thing, vaping instruments and they, and they explode in somebody's pocket, they explode in somebody's mouth. These, these 18650 batteries were causing, as Brad just said, house fires, fires in your house, fires, fires in your car. So let's talk about them. Uh, Brad, so the, what does the Consumer Product Safety Commission say about the warning? And this is a very serious warning. Well, yeah, they, they, there are supposed to be warnings on these 18650s. Once again, uh, the question comes up in two steps. The Consumer Product Safety Commission talks about, okay, we're going we're gonna to give you a warning um, that if these batteries, if they've been exposed to metal positive and negative terminals, uh, they can short circuit when they come into contact with other metal objects, such as keys or loose change in a pocket. Now think about that. These 18650s are being used for matters such as personal fans, some toys, uh, vaping devices. So you buy an 18650 from a source that you think is reputable. You, it's actually been broken down by um, a company 
to and taken out of uh, larger items or larger products and put into its own product and sold separately as if it's nothing more than a AA battery. Uh, Then you stick it into your vaping device or you slip it into whatever else you've got that you're using at 18654. You leave it on the counter or, you know, you're going to go drive somewhere. So you put your vaping device in your pocket and next thing you know, this thing short circuits, it overheats and now you've got a fire that's going on inside your pocket or you've got a fire going on inside your house. Uh, The warnings are to stop you from buying the product uh, if it's been broken down from a component part or as a component part. Right. If it's a standalone, you shouldn't buy the 18650. So just look at the description. Look at the description. You couldn't forget that if you tried right now. 18650, 18650. Now, we're still on the 18650. Later in the podcast, we're going to talk about regular lithium batteries, which have their own set of problems, which you need to know about. But now the 18650, we're talking about the Amazon lawsuit. Amazon got sued over the 18650, and the allegation was... And we're going to talk about a motion to dismiss in a minute because we're going to give the legal breakdown, the legal analysis. But the gravamen, the central theme of the lawsuit, was it said Amazon was selling these 18650s as standalone batteries. Standalone batteries. And then guess what? The lawsuit says and claims that there were complaints. You know, you leave a review. My house burned down. Hello? Come on. You know, it exploded in my mouth. It, it, it exploded in my pocket. It exploded in my garage. These look like AA batteries. So the lawsuit claims that Amazon has, they have a, a, an Amazon identification number, and they were selling the, the batteries by themselves, loose, standalone. And then they were getting all these negative reviews. So they ch- the lawsuit says that they changed the Amazon identification number to a new number, resold it with no reviews. So they got a bunch of negative reviews, but then... They didn't like it, so the lawsuit claims that they re-identified it with a new identification number, Brad, and then they resold it, and, the, and there's no reviews. And so there was a motion to dismiss uh, early on. Let, let's explain to everybody what a motion to dismiss is because all these companies, when they get sued, the first thing they do is file a motion to dismiss. And what does that mean? Because okay. it was denied. Uh, yeah, and what happens in the motions is that it, you carry out a lawsuit. A lawyer files a lawsuit on behalf of somebody, and you have to meet certain um, certain standards to be able to have that lawsuit be identified as something you can proceed with. If not, you're going to have a motion to dismiss. It's going to get rid of the case immediately. Uh, defendants are always looking for a way to dismiss the case immediately so that they can, uh, uh, stop the bleeding, so to speak, as far as the expenses for lawyers and stop the risk that's there. And the Amazon case is what we're looking at is, uh, you have companies that were being sued. Amazon being one of them, but other companies being sued uh, for this defective product. And the question is, is whether or not you're in a class of persons, if you brought the lawsuit, who's entitled to bring that lawsuit. And if you're entitled to bring a lawsuit where you're bringing it. So uh, let's say the Amazon battery is uh, explodes in Denver, Colorado, and it also explodes in Helena, Montana, and it explodes in Boise, Idaho. Um, Can all three of those people bring their lawsuit? And is Amazon subject to the courts in in Montana and the courts in Idaho and the courts in Colorado? Or is there somewhere else that you have to sue Amazon? Can you just say, well, by virtue of the fact that I was in Colorado when when the... 
when the battery exploded, but I bought the battery while I was in Arizona. Is that a different uh, requirement now that I have to go back to Arizona where I bought the battery? Um, if I bought it from Amazon and I was sitting in my home in, in Colorado and I bought it out of a catalog or off of the, uh, the internet, and now can I sue Amazon because I bought it while I was in Colorado or do I have to go to Amazon's home office? and sue Amazon their home office. Right, and I think that would be in Seattle. So there's a, there's a question. They always file a motion to dismiss, and Amazon's attorneys did file a motion to dismiss. The interesting part about this motion to dismiss was they said that uh, there's no justiciable issue. That's a fancy legal word. I'll explain it to you. There's no real issue here, Judge. It needs to be dismissed because the two plaintiffs that bought the, the lithium standalone 18650 batteries never intended to use them. They just bought them for the purpose of suing Amazon. And so that was in the motion to dismiss. There has to be what's called in law a justiciable issue, meaning there has to be a real issue. And so they say there was no real issue because they just bought the batteries as a pretense to file a lawsuit. And the judge denied Amazon's motion to dismiss, so the case went forward. And the judge and the court ruled that the, the plaintiff's intent of why they bought the batteries was not before the court at that time. He'd look at it basically later. And so that's the that's the status of the Amazon uh, lawsuit. It went forward with regard to the 18650. Uh, now, Brad, let's switch over, and, and we're going to talk about the lithium battery now, uh, not the 18650. The 18650 was manufactured and designed to be a component part of something else like a computer, like a Bluetooth, uh, like headphones, uh, like microphones. It was designed to be part of something else. So let's go to the lithium battery now uh, that we use. And by the way, at the end of the show, don't forget, we're going to give you our, uh, we're going to have a little fun as we do every week. We're going to give you our American idiom, right? American idiom. And we're going to ask you what it means. It's kind of fun. And we're going to give you the quote of the day. So uh, don't go anywhere. That comes at the end of our podcast every week. We cover an American idiom and we cover a uh, quote and see what you think about that. Now, Let's go to the uh, lithium battery that's in the news. They, they're not exactly completely safe, Brad. They can still um, create fires. They can still, and they have to have necessary warnings. And so let's talk about that a second. Well, lithium batteries are, again, a product that's put into a device and, or, or made for sale. And they're supposed to obviously generate power to allow the device to work. That's, you know, you stop to think about it. So you're buying a product that generates power. Uh, the question is, how do you harness that power? How can you control that power? And the problem they have is that you, we've all heard about it, I believe, is we've had the exploding vape batteries um, in Texas, and we've had them actually throughout the nation. We've had them in Georgia. We've had them in a number of different places. And the question is, is uh, or is there should have should the manufacturer have known that they had a dangerous condition that they were selling? Uh, did they give a warning if they did have that dangerous condition? And uh, what have they done to protect the consumer that's buying their product? Uh, once again, you're going to be asking the question, when it's consumer, where did the consumer consume the product and the consu- did the consumer uh, use the product in a manner and method by which it was intended so that you can, uh, you can say it wasn't a misuse of the product causing the problem? Right. So, so far today in today's podcast, we've covered the 18650. You cannot buy it as a standalone product. It looks like a AA battery. Just read the description and be aware of it. Then uh, we covered that the fact that there's lawsuits. We're going to give you a little bit more on that. Then we covered the fact there's a lawsuit against Amazon. They tried to dismiss it. 
and they couldn't get that done, so the litigation went forward. Now we're talking about lithium batteries around the, the country. Now, Brad, we've got, and we're going to discuss it, but we've got different cases in different states, and, and we got one, and we're going to talk about Texas, Mississippi, Georgia, Tennessee, Washington, the state of Washington. So we have these lithium batteries. We're not talking about the 18650s now. We're talking about regular lithium, lithium batteries that had a problem, a defect. They exploded. So some courts, Brad, and I'll let you cover it, some courts have said, yeah, yes, these companies, and one of them is called LG Kim uh, from South Korea, these companies are subject to jurisdiction. They are, and the suit can go forward in our state. But some of these states have said they're not subject to the jurisdiction. That's interesting. They're not, they sell a product in interstate commerce, and the states have held they're not subject to the jurisdiction. So what happens to the cases, Brad, and which ones were they? Well, they go away if the court determines that there's not proper jurisdiction over uh, LG Kim. Now, LG Kim, as we stated, is, is a Korean company. Uh, so when you're talking about a South Korean company, you're saying how can a lawsuit in Georgia reach out and hold LG Kim uh, responsible? Um, the, the, the bottom line on that one, is, or the, not the bottom line, but a, a contributing to, uh, reason is that LG Kim's U United States subsidiary is headquartered in Georgia. Uh, then the question in Tennessee, how does it get to Tennessee? Well, LG Kim knows when it puts its product in motion, when it puts it out there to be sold. Uh, it came all the way from from South Korea and put an office in Georgia and all of a sudden starts selling its product in Tennessee and or knows its product going to be used in Tennessee. It may not be just a matter that they're selling its product and purposely availed itself of the, of the, of the Tennessee uh, consumers uh, by handing out their product or selling their product to consumers, but maybe it's somebody who's visiting from Tennessee in Georgia and buys a product, or maybe it's somebody who is passing through Georgia, buys a product and brings it into Tennessee, and next thing you know, the product is exploding, and the person is hurt in Tennessee, they're hospitalized in Tennessee, they go through the, the difficult problems of facing in Tennessee, of, of overcoming this battery explosion that's caused severe injury. Now, uh, most of the time, uh, the courts have been upholding some type of jurisdiction. But, we but, have but that, to, means that, that means that they, the company can be sued in that state. And, when and, they uphold jurisdiction in Tennessee, they can be sued in Tennessee. Right, and the particular plaintiff bringing the lawsuit can bring the lawsuit in Tennessee uh, or in Georgia or in Washington. But we have that Texas case, Gary, and that Texas case found a little bit different. Right, the Texas case, uh, there was an exploding vape device uh, in the claimant, the plaintiff's pocket, severely burned the plaintiff, right? And the appellate court found, this is, this is in Texas, the appellate court found there was no indication that the battery in Texas was, the, was intentional, was the result of purposely availing itself of the state of Texas and its courts. That's what it held. And so I ask you, legally, if there's no jurisdiction, the, the case goes away. So the person that was burned has, has no claim. It's all dismissed because the court finds that LG Kim, South Korean company, didn't really purposely avail itself, intentionally avail itself of the courts. So what does it take to avail yourself of the courts if you're, you're selling your product in the state? And, and so we've studied jurisdiction for a long time. So the Texas court said you cannot bring the lawsuit. But there have been other, other courts, other states, Brad, 
in America where you can bring the lawsuit. Right. And any lawyer that wants to bring this lawsuit, a lawsuit such as this in a state, needs to look at the Texas lawsuit uh, because the Texas lawsuit in the case and the, the hearing that occurred that resulted in dismissal of that case uh, speaks a lot to whether or not the proper evidence was placed before the court that the court could consider. It appeared that the plaintiffs in that case um, actually, in order to to support their jurisdictional um, requirement, uh, put in um, and and argued with a a great deal of of what we call hearsay evidence that is not evidence you can base your um, your your case on. It's not evidence you can base uh, any kind of any kind of result from your case in favor. It's it's not going to be used by a court. And it looks like that the plaintiff there tried to use a bunch of hearsay evidence that the court rejected. And once the court rejected the hearsay evidence, there was nothing left for the court to consider. All the evidence was gone. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if the uh, case in Texas would have had the same support and the same evidence as they had in Georgia and Tennessee and Mississippi and in Washington. I'm wondering if that case would have been dismissed. Because the, the ma- major problem in the Texas case was a question of hearsay evidence, not evidence itself. Right. So, so what, what evidence you put before the court in a particular state determines whether the court's going to say, yes, your su- suit can go forward. And so good lawyers, good consumers look at the cases that lost, like Texas, and solve the problem in the next state. And then, and so Mississippi allowed the, the, the suit to go forward. But in Texas, that means the injured victim gets nothing. That means the company uh, has to pay no money, period. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. In Tennessee, uh, they said they were subject and they could be sued. So, Brad, explain to everybody here, and we got another show coming up on defamation soon that we're going to get more into this, but explain. you got Texas courts that hold one way on the same issue. you got Tennessee courts that hold another way on the same issue. you got Georgia courts that hold another way. So when there's conflicting law, conflicting holdings on a major, major issue, and sometimes not so major, how do these cases get to the United States Supreme Court? Well, that, that becomes a question. And the first thing is, is the case get put into the federal system. Um, it can come up from the state system, but basically it gets put into the federal system. Once it's in the federal system, uh, these are the type of cases you want the Supreme Court to step up and address when you have differing states coming out with differing decisions based on the basics of the case uh, and determining whether or not uh, a company has, is subject to the jurisdiction of a particular state, determining whether or not uh, the states themselves have to comply with the requirements within the, uh, the the Constitution, within our, our our governmental system that allows you to bring these cases against companies and whether you don't. And when you have differing states coming up with differing opinions, what you have is you have judges in the different states saying they disagree. Well, when they disagree, what happens? You need to get to a higher court and you go to the appellate court. And then after you get to the appellate court, when you have disagreement there, you get to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court will sits down and takes a look at the case and passes a law and says, uh, passes a case and says, this is, they don't pass laws. They, pass, they, they decide a case and they say, this is the law we're applying to this case. And when we apply this law, this is the result. And that becomes the standard that all courts have to follow. So you can see how, com- how these companies fight this. They try to get it dismissed in Texas. They don't get it dismissed in Tennessee. They don't get it dismissed in Georgia. So it eventually gets to the United States Supreme Court to decide these conflicting states. Right, That's one way you get matters to the United States Supreme Court. 
uh, and, and then they make the decision, as Brad just said, and that decision holds. You, can you imagine the, the political lobbying that goes behind putting briefs in front of the United States Supreme Court by saying, you don't have jurisdiction over us, so we as a company, we're going to skate. Can you imagine that? Well, it's not a political show, but you need to use your imagination on that. Okay, how do you solve this problem with these lithium batteries? Brad, we covered on 18650 lithium batteries, don't buy them loose. They look like AA batteries. On regular lithium batteries, that's what I'll call them, you better read the warnings. You know, I got to, I, I, I confess, sometimes I buy products, I don't read the warnings. On these lithium batteries, I sit down, I read the warnings beginning to end, and you better follow them because there's such thing called thermal runaway, and they can explode. And when you put them in a battery charger, if they overheat, they can explode. You better read the warnings and instructions. And then I tell you what, you can buy, and you're going to say, Gary, Brad, you got to be kidding me. I, I spent all this money for this lithium battery, and now you're telling me you can buy a battery-safe bag, an explosion-fireproof bag to put the batteries in in your garage. Because there's one fire that I know about personally caused by an e-bike e battery. So you take the battery out, you put it into these containers. I've got one. I bought one. It feels funny. It feels weird. It looks weird. But you put the batteries in there. So, Brad, follow the warnings, follow the instructions, buy a safe battery fireproof bag. Right. And if you do all that and you still end out with a fire then uh, or injuries, then you probably have a case. If you buy a product, I don't care what the product is, if you buy a product and you don't spend the time to look it up and figure it out and operate it or use it properly, you're going to weaken your case and maybe lose your case entirely. Uh, products are put out with warnings. And I'd say, Gary, probably 70, 80% of the time, if not more, uh, companies skate on responsibility to injured consumers because they gave a warning. And that warning uh, needs to be followed. And, you know, if the warning is there, if it says, if you use this in a vape pen or in, in a vape device and you keep it in the vape device, uh, it could explode and cause a fire and harm you, then you're probably going to lose your case when it explodes and causes a fire and harms you. And your house burns down and your garage burns down and you lose all your property. And they're going to say, well, it was your fault because you didn't follow the warning. All right, you're listening to the Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We love doing this podcast for you. We give you the legal analysis of current events as they come up in the news. We're glad to do it. And as we promised earlier, we're going to cover our American idiom and our quote of the day here to wrap up our, our show and our podcast. Brad, you got the American idiom for this week? I sure do, Gary. Uh, the, the idiom today is talking to someone like a Dutch uncle. And uh, these are idioms that uh, we all probably came across at one time of our life. I uh, had somebody talk to us about it. Uh, so the question is, if you're speaking to someone or you're talking to someone like a Dutch uncle, what does that mean? Well, and what, explain it why, when somebody says it. We'll answer that for you next week. But in the meantime, you can contact us and give us your answer, <clears throat> your interpretation of that American idiom. You can reach us at info, that's I-N-F-O, info at legalanatomy.net. We're glad to interact with you. We're glad to talk with you. You can give us feedback on our podcast. You can give us suggestions for newsworthy uh, podcasts and, and shows that we're glad to break down legally for you. We'll be glad to do it. Now, I'm going to give you the quote of the week, and this one's a great one. It's, it's a great time of the year, and this is a great one. This is by Phyllis Diller, and she, she says, What I do not like about co office Christmas parties is looking for a job the next day. So... What I do not like about office Christmas parties is looking for a job the next day. That's Phyllis Diller. I wish that were my own, but it's, it's not. Okay, 
Legal Anatomy of Current Events, Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock, located in Denver, Colorado. We're going to cover American news, American breaking news for you. It might involve worldwide events, but it's going to be American news, and we're going to break it down legally for you. We're going to anatomize your mind, give you legal anatomy of current events. We will see you next week.